I uh, was thinking this week, um, my wife, Carrie, sometimes finds it a chore to live with me, period. But especially, she often finds it a chore to watch a movie with me. And the reason for that is because I can hardly keep myself from commenting when I find something to be utterly unrealistic. And I just kind of have to just speak about it, you know. And my three oldest kids have picked up this habit, of course, from me. And honestly, it's, um, it's fairly difficult to simply just make it through an entire five minutes of a movie at our house, if any of us is in the room, without one of us commenting or critiquing on some, something. So we're, we're a pretty rough crowd. It's kind of hard to watch with us. Um, now, I, I think we have a good motivation in it. Personally, I think our motivation is what I would call a fondness for reality. And it's, it's really nuanced, that is, of course. But basically, what we become critical when the, when the unrealistic overpowers our willingness to temporarily suspend disbelief. You heard that phrase before? That when you, you watch a movie or, or, you, or you read a novel, you have to temporarily suspend disbelief to really enter into it. And I, th- I think it's a necessary posture to, to watch a movie or to enjoy a good book, to be able to, dis- to suspend our disbelief, to enter into a created world uh, of this narrative that an author or a filmmaker is placing before us and, and inviting us into. And we, we often do that for a couple hours. And we enter in and we enjoy ourselves and we go back into the real world. And good storytellers make this kind of suspension of disbelief easy. They make it easy to do. They, they draw you in, they call you in. You all know who your favorite storytellers are, whether they be uh, authors or, or filmmakers. But poorly told stories, on the other hand, that are, that are filled with overworked cliches, that have all these loose ends, they, they really make it difficult to suspend del- belief and they, they push our patience Uh, with fantasy and make-believe kind of to the edge. But if you're like me, if you have a well-told story, you will willingly suspend disbelief in the presence of it, just for the pure enjoyment of that story. Now, I wonder if this is sometimes the same thing that we do, the same temporary suspension of disbelief is, is often in play when we come to church. And I say that specifically when we come to church on Easter Sunday to hear the story, to hear this story, which I would argue is written by the best author of all. And, and this story of the resurrection, we know the preacher is going to talk about the resurrection. We know somebody's going to say he is risen. And, and maybe we wrestle in our minds, like, should I respond to that or not? And even though maybe you'd never be caught dead believing in such things, you're willing in this moment, in this hour, to suspend your disbelief, to to enter into the experience with us. But in your mind, this really isn't any difference between the risen Christ and the Easter Bunny. We grow out of both of them, right? But we're happy to endure talk about them for good of the kids, Right? We all know Santa Claus isn't real. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Joe. Sorry, Joe. We'll have a talk later. <laughs> we all know Santa Claus isn't real, but for the sake of argument. But he is, he's such a part of our cultural Christmas narrative that we don't mind kind of pretending and walking in that pretend road 
for a moment before we get back to our real lives where really where more important realities take precedence for us, where, where the real world really is in front of us that we have to walk in. But if I were to tell you that there are actually some people in this room who actually believe this stuff, would that surprise you? That, that we don't think that we're just telling stories. We, we are telling a big story, but we're telling the truest story of all. And not only have we thought it through, but we actually believe that the resurrection of Jesus wasn't just a, a factual historical event, but that it's changed all of reality and radically profound ways. I mean, we're not just peddling your kind of -of run-of-the-mill conspiracy theories here. We think this is true. Now, now of course, for, for you who are skeptics or agnostics out there, whether you be here with us in the room or online, your response might be one of several. You might say, well, okay, that's, that's great for you. I'm glad you have a story, some hope that you can anchor on, but I, I can get along fine just just fine without it, so to each his own. Now, alternatively, you might be a more aggressive skeptic. <laughs> you might have a little bit more aggressive attitude towards that and say, oh, really, you believe in that? Okay, well, prove it. And that should be your response, because if we're making a claim like this, that, that a man who claimed to be God actually died and three days later was resurrected back to life and continues to live today, then we should be able to prove it. And there are a number of ways I could do that this morning, laying out evidence and and arguments, attempting to convince you of the historical reality of the resurrection. And there's serious, logically sound cases to be made for for its reality and and of the gospel accounts, um, reality of his resurrection and their, their witness to it. But what I want to speak about this morning transcends logical proof. Because if the resurrection actually happened, if that event actually took place almost 2,000 years ago, then it changes everything. And if it changes everything, it changes the people who believe it. And so the most profound proofs of the resurrection are actually sitting right next to you. Those who have put their faith in this resurrected Christ are the best proofs in the world that the resurrection actually happened. Because Christians, if you will, we are resurrection people. And our lives, even though they're far from perfect, they should be tangible, visual proofs of God's transforming, resurrecting power. So the resurrection matters because it offers us Believers, it offers us unparalleled power of of changed lives. So if you you are one who has put your faith in Christ, from your standpoint, a standpoint of belief, what this means for you is, is there's incredible hope for you. And there's incredible power at your disposal minute by minute. Praise God for that. Now, for those of you who are coming from a standpoint of of disbelief or skepticism or agnosticism, well, you need only look at those around you who claim Christ and ask, is the supposed power of Christ's resurrection actually making a difference in them? 
Will that difference be perfect? No. But will it make a difference? Absolutely. So this morning I want to look at six reasons why and how the resurrection matters. And to do that, I'm going to be looking in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. So if you have a Bible there, it's toward the end of the Bible, the book of 1 Peter. I'd love for you to follow along. I would put it up on the screen, but we're having a multitude of technical difficulties this morning. And we're just glad we're alive. So here's what it says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So stay there and allow me to walk through and and, and draw three or six reasons why the resurrection matters. The first is this. The resurrection matters because it's driven by mercy. It's driven by mercy. Verse 3, according to his great mercy, it says. Mercy means that we don't receive what we deserve. So when we receive justice, we don't receive it. Rather, we receive something else, mercy. And mercy is based on the kindness of God towards us. Because the Bible teaches that we're all naturally God's enemies because of our sins. So it's, it's only through God's grace, only through his mercy, that we can ever be forgiven. And the resurrection is what secures this forgiveness when God mercifully extends and shares the benefits of that resurrection with us. So later in in chapter 3 of Peter, 1 Peter verse 21, Peter says that we have an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So because the resurrection is true, we can know that we're forgiven. If we put our faith in him, believers can know that they are forgiven because of the resurrection. Because without mercy, we're left in our guilt. We're left in our shame. We're left before God condemned. But mercy is immense. Mercy is powerful. And it grounds our salvation. It grounds all that God offers for us as a gift. We don't deserve to be saved. But we are. We don't deserve forgiveness, but it's extended to us. We we don't deserve to know God, but we do. We don't deserve to be changed, but we can be. God's mercy is unfathomable. And what mercy does for us when we truly understand it is that it it allows us to see that every part of, of life, like Rob was pointing to a minute ago, every part of life is a gift. It's all grace. And the polar opposite of of being thankful and grateful for the gift is, is to live an entitled life. Like as if we, we deserved or earned all the good things we have. So it's easy to to recognize resurrection people because they've received 
mercy and forgiveness. And because of that, they live grateful lives, not entitled ones. Mercy begets mercy, and people who have received mercy tend to be merciful, kind, generous people. If you look at someone who claims to know Christ, they should be a merciful, generous person. The second reason the resurrection matters is because it empowers the new birth. So verse 3 says that God, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So so the resurrection powerfully affects those who trust Christ because because not only has Jesus himself overcome death when he was raised from the tomb, but he's been willing to share that power, that life with us. It's now been applied to us as well. And another way of saying that someone has become a Christian is to say that they put their faith or their trust in Jesus Christ. And and faith isn't something that we just woke up one day and decided to do. Rather, much like a baby being born, it's something God does to us. The baby is a crucial part of a birth, by the way. But it doesn't make up its mind to come out. It doesn't take an active, really, role in it. It it is definitely part of it. It's fully involved. But we can't make, a baby can't make birth on its own power, and neither can we make a new birth. To be born again comes from God. God causes us, it says, to be born again, making us into new creations. Because of the resurrection, Christians are no longer merely human. We have a new, different, spiritual kind of life and energy at work in us and on display through us. The third reason I see here that the resurrection matters is because it gives us a living hope from that same verse. We are born again to a living hope through the resurrection. A living hope is obviously opposite of a dead hope. It's a hope that's grounded in the indestructible life of Jesus himself. So our living hope isn't in just some kind of of wish dream out there. It's an actual person who was once dead, but now he's alive, and his very existence grounds our once dead, now living life. So in Acts 24, the apostle speaks about having a hope in God that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Hope is future-oriented. It looks forward to the end. It looks forward in faith that God will one day right every wrong, that he will one day raise the dead, that he will one day reward his people. We hope for, in 1 Peter 1.5, it says, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So hope believes that, that this life is not all that there is, that something better awaits us in the future. And if we have hope that the resurrection has radically altered our future, it should affect our everyday lives. The resurrection isn't just something that that helps us in the future, it affects us now. So here's how to spot people who have a living hope. Let me give you five ways. First of all, people with a living hope don't get overly discouraged or distressed about today. Their perspective on today isn't dictated by today, but by the future. 
by what we know will happen. All of life for us should be seen through the lens of a future living hope. Secondly, people with a living hope have an inexplicable peace through the storms of life. So so people with hope will endure suffering patiently because they trust a God who is both wise and good, who wants and will give the best to his people and knows what is best for them. So they will see their suffering not not as just something to get through, but something that is actually good and maybe the best possible thing for them. They will trust that suffering isn't ever needless, that it's always informed by hope. And the reality of the resurrection actually can make suffering seem light. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Third, you can recognize people with living hope because they're not afraid of death. In fact, they will not think that physical death is the worst thing that can possibly happen to a person. Fourth, people with a living hope take an attentive and a a serious interest in others around them and their current in their future state. So people with a living hope see everyone around them as eternal beings made in the image of God, made for the purposes of God, and loved infinitely by God. So they'll extend dignity and respect and love to everyone and desire them especially to know God so that in the end they will not face his wrath but his mercy. And then finally, people with a living hope constantly grow and change. They know that God has a goal for them and a purpose for them, and that purpose doesn't just finish when their body dies. God has called them for a purpose, and he is powerfully at work making them more and more like Jesus. Now, they may not be the best or the most put-together people that you know, They may have their rough edges and things that they still wrestle and struggle with. But if you were to watch them over time, people with a living hope will grow. They'll get better. They'll change. They'll be different. Now back to the 1 Peter passage. The fourth reason that the resurrection matters is because it purchases or wins for us an indestructible inheritance. It wins for us an indestructible inheritance. So in verse 3, we're born again. And then verse 4, it says, we're born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So, So children who are born into a wealthy family through no fault of their own, are automatically heirs to the family fortune. And when born into God's family, his sons and daughters are given both a a new identity as as his sons and daughters, but they're also given access to an indescribable birthright. In Ephesians chapter 1, it's described like this, that God has blessed us in Christ 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 1 Corinthians 3 says to, to believers, for all things are yours. Think about that statement for a minute. All things are yours. The world, or li- whether the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Have you ever wondered what to get as a gift for the person who has everything? It's the same kind of thing. Like, what can you give someone who puts their hope in Christ? They have everything. What can you give them that they need? Nothing. They don't need anything. So so those who have experienced the reality of Jesus Jesus Christ's resurrection should be the most content people in the world because they know they have everything they need. They won't live in constant anxiety about how they're going to make their ends meet or or provide for themselves. They aren't always grasping for more or climbing and scrapping their way up corporate ladders or or selling their souls out for the things of this world like money or possessions or the American dream. Christians, we don't have to be defined by any of those things because we have it all. We have the inheritance that, that Christ is one and is holding on to us for us. We don't have to worship these things. We don't have to be attached to them. And because of all that, we can actually enjoy the gifts that God gives us in this life. Because that's what they are, is gifts from our Father. The fifth reason the resurrection matters is because it powers, its power fuels perseverance. The resurrection matters because its power fuels perseverance. So verse 5 who by God's power, we are by God's power, being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So the scripture is clear that those who truly trust Christ, who truly, who truly trust in his resurrection power will never fall away from him. Now, now that doesn't mean that Christians will never struggle. That doesn't mean that we'll never doubt or that we're perfect or sinless. Christians are still real people living in a real world. We will mess up, but we will ultimately never give up. But but this isn't something we do in our own power, because if you're like me, there have been plenty of times this week where you've wanted to throw in the towel. But this verse What it does is it shows for us a parallel relationship between the power of resurrection on the one hand and the power of perseverance on the other. And the point is this, that if God was able to raise Jesus from the dead, then he can certainly guard your faith until the end. Jesus himself said this in John chapter 10, my sheep or my people hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hands. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hands. If you are in Christ's hands, if you are in the father's hands, he will not let you go. And so people's, people whose lives are captured by the resurrection have an indestructible faith. And it's not because of their strength. It's because of the strength of the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. 
So what does that look like in real life? What does it look like to be people who persevere? It looks like people who are faithful to the one who's faithful to them. Who remain devoted and loyal to Jesus above all. Through the ups and the downs of life. through, Through joy and sorrow. Through plenty and want. Through sickness and health. So so their faith, even when it's weak, even when it's assailed, even when it's challenged, even when it's undercut, their faith will never fail. Jesus' people will persevere to the end by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And then finally, the resurrection matters because it results in God's glory. So we'll go back up to verse 3 for this one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So so the verses begin with these words, but really I save this for last because this is the result of all that we've already talked about. God gets blessed, which is another way of saying he gets the glory, he gets the honor, he gets the worship and the praise because the resurrection matters. The resurrection, what it does is it transforms self-absorbed, egomaniacs, I don't know if that describes you or not, describes me, the resurrection transforms self-absorbed egomaniacs into Christ-exalting, God-glorifying, gospel-centered people who would rather talk about Jesus than about most anything else. People who live lives of worship always pointing to the one that they love. The resurrection matters because it results in God's glory in our lives. So the lives of born-again, transformed, blood-bought, resurrection-empowered Christians should be the most compelling and attractive lives that you know. Because their lives, they don't display their own wisdom or their own strength or their own charisma, but because God's power is at work in them despite themselves. So for those of you who believe this, this may feel like a breath of fresh air, that God has promised to transform and empower you, not by your own strength, but by his great mercy and by the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Because if Christ hasn't been raised, we have no hope. But because Christ has been raised, we can walk in his power, take Hope in that. Grab on to that. Seek to live in that. Now, for those of you who doubt or are still skeptical, maybe this would be a litmus test for you because I am confident that God is working in people around you. Maybe it's the person sitting right next to you in the pew. Maybe it's the person sleeping right next to you in your bed. Maybe it's the person living right next to you across the road. Maybe it's the, the person working right next to you at work. God is working in them. Do you see it? Is it compelling? And if it is, just know this, that you can share in that resurrection life as well. Now will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we come to you and we're grateful for your son, Jesus. We're grateful that you sent him, creator of the universe, the one through whom all things were created, the one by whom all things hold together, Lord, you sent him to become a helpless baby, to live a perfect life, to love 
fully and completely those around him to heal, do miracles, to forgive sins. And he went willingly as an innocent man to the cross and died in our place. God, we're thankful that he didn't stay dead, but that your power raised him from the grave and in that we have hope. That your power raised him now to the right hand of the throne of God where he will come once again, from, from there he will come once again to judge the living and the dead. And Lord, we look forward with a living hope to that day and we're grateful for the resurrection. So Lord, for those of us who believe, my prayer this day is that we would live in that resurrection power You've given it to us. You've graced it to us. And so often we get consumed with all the other things. And I pray, Lord, that you would live and dwell and empower us with your power. And Lord, for those who are skeptical or doubtful or disbelieving, Lord, I pray that their eyes would be open, that they would look and see your power at work in our lives. We pray all this for your glory. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.